Hello and welcome to Cause Hybies. My name is Chris Horsfall and I am a partner in the Melbourne Projects Practice Group at Cause. Thank you for joining us for part two of our podcast titled COVID-19 and the Construction Industry, Challenges and Opportunities. In this second episode, we continue our discussion with Kiri Parr and Kevin Pascoe, with a particular focus on how the challenges brought about by COVID-19 might actually be an opportunity for the construction industry to embrace technology and improve leadership and culture. Let's join the conversation. There's a great part of your article uh, where you quote the famous construction worker, Winston Churchill, um, who says, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, I know we've sort of already been touching on it, but um, yeah, what, what are the opportunities that the, the, the crisis, uh, sorry, the crisis that COVID um, has, has sort of enabled and, and what changes can, can come from that? I'll throw in the first one. The, one of the really interesting things I'm starting to see is the technology, uh, the AI that's starting to emerge around the field of construction management. So not the um, technology that enables the construction or engineering activities themselves, but the technology that's going to support how you manage manage projects. So the data sharing platforms are starting to change. They're starting to be more collaborative, um, single source of truth databases are starting to emerge. And what I find really interesting in that space is that it's the mid-tier, smaller mm. organisations that are proving to be more flexible and yeah, more agile, yeah. more willing to try something out. Um, and there are some great pieces out there that are that are. Um, I, I have about half a dozen pieces of people I know who are who are developing technologies and what they're doing is um, top rate. Yeah, I mean the the future. What what is coming is. Uh... You know, it'd be great if there's a TV show on some of these things like they do in other areas. But, you know, I, I envisage a future where, uh, you know, the engineer, for example, is is sitting there with a um, with tactile gloves and a and a, a headset, you know, a virtual reality type headset. The, the auto- semi-autonomous drone a thousand kilometres away has been tasked with a with a pre-mission and that engineer is then, you know, connected in at the right time in their calendar and flies and tasks the, the drone, adjusts it on the construction site where it is then laser scanning and digitally updating uh, and inspecting the works and up revving design drawings, uh, which the engineer's presence is therefore certifying and all of that data is uploaded and all recognised across that contracting chain. I mean, this is not... You know, we're not talking about Star Trek level of technology here. This, this all the technology already exists. It just requires. So Kevin imagines that from the engineering task. Yeah. I think about it from the litigation task. So lawyers, at the end of the, you have these. We have these giant construction disputes at the end of the job, and we go back afterwards and we try and collate all this data and we build these databases and and if if it's a really big case, you might even try and build a a set of data that we can create, recreate the real-time analytics where you've got your uh, programmers trying to recreate what happened on site. I think the capacity to have that information up front in real time Mm. from the very beginning in collaborative portals could be an 
utter game changer mm-hmm. for a client who went there. It's just starting. Yeah. Because what you do is you do that analysis and assessment real time from the beginning and it will completely change the game. The, the other thing to really f- reflect on here is um, is the level of risk appetite. And I think in Australia you know, we do have this, I don't know, for some reason culturally we've been inflicted with this very low level of risk uh, in, in, in everything that we do. And I, I don't think that COVID is helping this. And innovation doesn't come about from low levels of risk. You, you know, you've got to take approaches which are inherently risky because it's the first time you've ever done it. And you think, you know, if you put two parties together and said, let's uh, let's do an adversarial contract and uh, do, let's do a mission to Mars and drive around a rover, it's just not going to work, is it? Um, the level of risk is just too far too high. And so it really requires a much more of a collaborative approach to, to those sorts of innovations. So I think that's really got to be a changer in construction. If we want innovation to come in, um, the, the nature of contracts has to be go, has to go away from adversarial and entrenched, uh, you know, protective mechanisms. What about large infrastructure projects that are initiated by governments? I think the, the real challenge that we're seeing with the government pipeline of works is, is this shift to very large projects. And if you look at the data set that um, Marian Tyrrell published, the Grattan Institute published, um, over, she's done two reports over the last six months. You can really see the shift to much larger projects over much longer timeframes. And what also that data shows is that those projects have shrunk the market of parties who can supply them. They come with claims at the back end as well. So if we are going to be evidence-based professionals, not just go with our gut, do what we do on our large project, actually look at the data and, and reflect on what that means, you need to think then about, well, is the best solution to continue to roll out the pipeline of work through large projects? Because large projects statistically suffer from these consequences. So if you're going to have a large project, I think we need to reflect long and hard on the adversarial contract models that are commonly built to sit with them Um, because what we are seeing is that those models are driving the parties into using tools like litigation to solve the problems. So what are the solutions and strategies inside the contract itself for helping the parties resolve disputes? And I know that we generally have the three-tier mediation or senior negotiation, mediation, and then arbitration and litigation. Um, What that doesn't give you is any kind of governance structure that actually allows you to solve the problems before you've even got to the dispute board. Which is, I know where you're going. It's the 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 whole. It's the whole dispute board. If if you, by comparison, thought about that project as a business that you were going to deliver as a joint venture, you wouldn't have a governance strategy that just says, oh, if there's a problem, our two CEOs will meet. You're going to have a joint venture board, which is meeting every month, having full reporting and is tasked with safety, whether our team is performing, the leadership capacity, finding problems, solving them, making decisions about Mm. how you invest the resources of the joint venture to solve the problems. 
And if we can start bringing that kind of mindset to our projects, because we're talking about big companies. I mean, they're, they're big endeavours, these projects. We need to be bringing that single enterprise um, governance um, thinking to the table if we're going to deliver them well. One of the analogies from the, the paper that I really liked was um, you talked about uh, we're coming into a, an era coming out of COVID of massive government spending to kickstart the economy. And you said that that's great, um, but you shouldn't get a sick patient to suddenly run. And what you meant by that is uh, if the construction industry as a whole is sick and you're going to inject all of this cash in and all of these projects to try and get it going, uh, it might you might try and, you know, um, you might um, shock them out of their state too quickly. Is there a better way where we can sort of ramp up uh, differently or more slowly or in a more controlled or sustainable way so that we aren't going suddenly from someone who's critically ill to uh, trying to get them to compete at the Olympics? Well, maybe we should say that there's not one patient. Um, every project is, is and, and every owner and every contractor is, a, is, a, is at a different point in their leadership journey and their skills journey, but every single one of us has the capacity to say what can I do better now with what I've got and uh, how can I, what is the next thing that I can do that will get me towards a better outcome? I'm glad you put the optimistic spin on it, Kiri, because when the question was posited, I, I had a, you know, I'm a very optimistic person, but I have a very pessimistic view to the question, which is that I think the the horse has bolted and that, you know, the governments have just released all of the projects, the borders are shut, the universities will not be training uh, people as we have in the past uh, and had those uh, foreign skills coming in. Um, and so I, I think that there will be issues. The projects, I am out talking to a lot of people. Um, there's certain skill sets in the technology area or in engineering that uh, are just not available at the moment. And every single person I meet says, do you, do you know any structural engineers? Do you know any rail signaling engineers? Yeah, everyone wants to build a railway at the moment in the metro tunnel. Um, and, and that's going to be a problem, you know, that will result in uh, not meeting the contractual and, you know, timelines uh, or the quality. There'll be issues with both of those, time and, and quality of the delivery and, and over cost, obviously. So, you know, I'm a little bit pessimistic in that regard. But Kiri's hit the right note by saying you know, the optimism is, and this is what we hope, and this is what the call for the paper really was about, everyone's got a responsibility to do what they can. You know, I guess we're doing that by writing the paper and, and still talking about it. But, you know, from a from the listeners to this podcast perspective, it might be that, um, you know, and my advocacy is that people really need to think about project outcomes as a best for project outcome. It, the, the not, you know, I understand that people are engaged by a client to work for those clients' interests. But my point is that it is not in the client's best interest if it is the project outcome is to you know, the detriment of the other parties on the project. Um, the pro best project outcome is that it's built on time to quality, to cost, uh, health and safety, no one's killed or you know, badly injured on, and mental health and all of that, uh, and that everyone, can, everyone involved in the project can be proud of it and drive past it or point it out to their kids, family um, in the future and, and have a nice sensation about it. I've had projects where I've growled at the project as I drive past it um, years later. I've had projects where during the project I've had to not go near it because I've just, you know, too emotionally invested in it. Um, and, you know, years later you like to look back and go, hey, yeah, 
I think time does temper it and you do forget some of the bad stuff eventually. But so that's that's the point. I, I think you know, everyone should really try to look at here as to what is the best longer term outcome and to try to encourage everyone else to to think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the greatest, if you look back on the projects that you deliver over your, over your uh, past, you know, the, those projects that were delivered with collegiality, with mm. quality, with excellence, they give you joy. Mm. Um, and they're normally projects that are often um, distinguished by some different models or by different leadership perspectives. Mm. And that's where our paper was coming from. So I must say thank you for um, giving us this opportunity to um, amplified this debate. It has amplified in our industry over the last 18 months. More of us are talking about it. More of us are commentating on about it, write, writing papers, really there's some wonderful case studies that are starting to emerge here in Australia of, of organisations that are really trying to do things differently. Um, where it's early days um, um, and I'm less pessimistic than Kevin. I, I uh, uh, I, I certainly don't want us returning to type. Um, I, uh, if if this is this is your inflection point, take it, seize it, run with it. Phone me up for some I ideas. The question that I had was, um, I'm a big fan of the idea of everyday leadership. Leadership is not just for the you know two or three people at the front of the um, press conference, but we all have an obligation and a responsibility to be leaders in our own way within our own sphere of influence. So my question is, if we want to get to, and you talk about this in the paper, an idealised state in five years' time, what would be your one thing that you would like to see um, listeners of this podcast do to be everyday leaders in this field? Invest in your leadership journey, your, your skills to really unpack what builds good teams. Go, go, go and go and learn new skills mm. that really are about team building and what builds good teams and how to have constructive uh, conversations. If, if if you feel like all you carry into your day, if you walk in and, and you're carrying anger and, and the need to use that in some way, uh, th just know that there, there's some other approaches out there that might be more constructive. Yeah, look, and I feel I, yeah, absolutely the diversity of, you know, everyone talks about diversity in construction. They, they think about it a bit too narrowly. I think it, Diversity of thought is really, I think, the, the most important element. And, um, you know, one of the reasons that Kiri and I collaborate so much together is that um, we are, you know, we obviously I originally was an engineer in my training and Kiri a lawyer, but, you know, we do think about the world in different ways. And whenever we do get together, we, it's just, uh, you know, little sparks go off in terms of, think, you know, thought bubbles and, and trying to... Uh, get those ideas and it really motivates us and we we get these great ideas that comes out of things to whether it is leadership or the approach that we're taking to the solutions that we're providing to our clients or in whatever we're doing people get i think yeah and it's been difficult the last year obviously with with covid um family and work and pressures and finances and all of these sorts of things but it's really important that if I think you want to be successful and provide good leadership to everyone around you, you've got to find the time to get out of the everyday and whether that's through walking in nature, reading a book, reading different books, whatever it is, talking with meeting with different people, different groups, it's really important and you'll get those really diverse thoughts and 
um, that's where that innovation comes from, cross-fertilisation of different industries and different different processes. I just wanted to thank you both, Kiri and Kevin, for your passionate and considered thoughts on the best practice uh, for a flourishing construction industry in Australia. Thank you. Thank you again. We thank you for listening to this episode of Cause High Biz. Please remember these podcasts are for reference purposes only. They should not be relied upon as legal advice and you should always seek legal advice about your specific circumstances.